There's been so much in our news media, so much even by testimonies within this congregation that we've shared on several nights of conflict and strife and division between those people that are sworn to protect their community and a segment of our population that has been persecuted. If we don't come together and begin to talk with one another and develop a relationship, then that division is opening a door for Satan to destroy, and we're seeing the results of it. If any, if any organization ought to be able to help bridge that gap, it ought to be the church of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so blessed because we have a, a police department in Seekonk that's opened their hearts and their, their, their selves to a relationship with us, with a leadership of this church. We have wonderful officers that serve here every Sunday as, to protect us. We now have a police chief in Seekonk who's very open to develop a relationship with the faith-based community, and with, especially with this church. And this is an opportunity we need to take. This is, as you can see, is a nation, national, national movement to bring together where Satan has tried to create division and strife and destruction. And there's no doubt that there have been people that have been abused, people that have been persecuted, people that have been hurt. But as the Satan does and the media does, it focuses on the minority issues, minority numbers of situations, and overlooks the people who day after day serve faithfully, lovingly, faithfully, and the church that loves people back. And so this is a venture to be part of this, this organization, part of this event. And I would just encourage you, it's open, we're, the church is being offered to the community to be used by our community, by our police department, and by other churches that will be coming together here. So I just encourage you to be part of that, and that's that's why we're doing that. Um, this is September 11, 2022. 21 years ago today, in the morning, we experienced something we never dreamed we'd ever experienced. We've lived in the, in the illusion that because we have two large oceans that protect us on either side, that as a nation we were safe and secure and we got comfortable. And we were rudely awakened 21 years ago this morning to the reality that there's an enemy out there trying to destroy us. This is a day we remember what happened 21 years ago. It's interesting, there's thinking this morning there are many people in our congregation that weren't even alive then. It's important for you to understand how this nation was terribly attacked. As I was meditating on this this morning, I realized we need to be thankful today because that was 21 years ago. We didn't know what was going to happen after that. Our lives were drastically changed. Travel is very different today, but we're still here. We're still prospering. We're still moving forward. And by God's grace, we've not had another one of those incidents. There have been other terrorist incidents, but nothing of that magnitude. And I believe with all my heart, God has protected this nation and is protecting this nation. I want to pray right now. 
Father, as we come together today, we remember, some of us may even know people whose lives were lost on that tragic day 21 years ago. We pray for the families today that lost loved ones that day because this must be a difficult day for them as they remember. We ask your grace to help them. We look back over 21 years and thank you, Father, for you have protected us. Thank you that you have thwarted undoubtedly plans and efforts that were designed and at work to to attack us again. And we just want to thank you and continue to trust you that your hand is upon this nation. There are many problems in this nation. There are many things that must be so offensive to you. But your grace is still here, I believe. There's hope still here that if your people will humble themselves and pray and call upon your name and turn from our wicked ways, that you will hear us and you will hear our our land. There's hope for that. With all that's still wrong in this nation, this is still the greatest nation on the face of this earth because this has been a nation that has honored you, served you, and followed your example by taking care of those around us. And we are now, we are now at a crossroads. We pray, Father, that your church would awaken to the purpose for which we are here. Again, we just pause today to thank you. As we remember 21 years ago, and thank you for your faithfulness, and trust you going forward that you'll continue to protect us and that you will continue to guide us. For these things, we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I got up this morning and I told the Lord, look, I want to take the control off of this. I want to just follow whatever your spirit wants to do this morning. And so that's what I've endeavored to do. And now I end up with half the time to preach. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Anita and I were... um, a couple of other things. Let's see. I just, oh, yes. Um, just remind you that uh, on September 24th at 10 o'clock, we're having a, a remor- memorial service here to remember and celebrate the lives of Henry and Gloria Smith, who were such a part of this congregation for so many years. And a number of years they moved south to be with their son as they were getting older and needed help. There they are, for those of you who can remember. Wonderful, precious couple. That's the 24th here at 10 o'clock, a memorial service. I um, also want to thank those that were involved yesterday in, the, uh, in the, uh, the senior day. It was a great success from what I understand. We weren't here. We were, had the opportunity to get away for, uh, for this week, and we were arriving back last night. Um, and we just had a wonderful time together. We put a puzzle together, and just, just it was a wonderful time together. And, uh, and, and I'm going to share some of the things that God spoke to me about. One last thing. There's a missionary that, that we know that, that we've had a relationship with um, that works with missionaries in, 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 uh, in Mexico, and they're back in the States for a little while, and they need some help with, their ha- with housing. So if you know anybody or your heart is open, uh, it's, it's a couple, a man and wife, they're a wonderful couple with two children, and they need housing from September 21st to the 5th of October. Um, so if you can help in that way, if you would let the office know, especially get a hold of Pastor Ray, because uh, he's in, in contact with them, it would be greatly appreciated. Whew. Now we can get into the Word. Praise the Lord. We're in a... Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and blessing. 
And I'm just trusting today as I, as I shared with you this morning, Father, and my time with you, that what you want to say to us this morning, that you will say. So I yield myself. I yield my mind, my heart, my voice. I yield my plans. I yield whatever understanding I have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us from this Word. Father, it's not just the knowledge we have. It's the knowledge that's anointed by you. It's the Word that's anointed by the Spirit that not just comes forth with power, but also is able to penetrate our hearts and touch our hearts. And so, Father, that's what I'm looking to and relying upon your Spirit to do this morning. And for this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen Amen. and amen. I struggled with this message because I started a series last week on the gifts of the Spirit because I really believe that God's calling our attention to the supernatural. The supernatural is what demonstrates that He's real, that He's here, that He's here in the service with us. He's here at your workplace, wherever you are. And to demonstrate about Him what He's like, that He cares about the needs of our life. He cares about your health. He cares about you deeply, more deeply than we can begin to imagine. And so last week we did an introduction to this. These are laid out in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And I explained to you that the church in Corinth was very proficient in these gifts. They flowed very freely apparently in this congregation, but, but, but they, were, they were very immature in the way they did it. So there was strife and envy and there was jealousy among other, one another for how these gifts flowed. And there was pride about among some that, you know, I prophesy in the church and you only come to church and, and all of these attitudes and Paul had to correct them. And so this letter is written to answer some questions, but it's also primarily written to correct a number of practices that were going on in the church. You know, God will correct us. Gary and Joanne understand that, so that's why they're growing. God will correct us. I said, God will correct us. The Word of God is profitable, the Bible says, not just to make us feel better, but it's profitable to correct us, to confront us. You know, Jesus, Jesus was not the image that a lot, of, a lot of people think he is. Jesus said things that would get him thrown out of churches today. They would be posting things on social media about Jesus was, was a hate person because of some of the things he said, but he spoke only what his father told him to speak. He was, loved us enough to correct us, to challenge us, to encourage us. You say, Pastor, what are you going to hit us with today? <laughs> and I struggled because I kept trying to go into these gifts and explain these gifts in more detail and get into the gift and I just couldn't go there and I just felt the Holy Spirit say just go through it the way Paul wrote it so that's what we're going to endeavor to do in the time that we have this morning we began to talk about these gifts these gifts were, were, are outlined or listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and some of the things we saw about them is that they're supernatural demonstrations of God's presence there, there, there are commentaries I've read and some writings that I've read and one of them I may refer to later on where it describes these gifts like there's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, that that is God just giving you great wisdom and God is giving you great knowledge, but there's nothing supernatural about wisdom that you have by birth. There's nothing supernatural about wisdom you get or knowledge you get by studying and getting on the internet. Well, you'll get a lot of stuff on the internet that's not knowledge. But stuff you get by studying, and those are good things to do, but there's nothing supernatural about these. These were demonstrations 
of the Spirit. The, the, the term Paul uses is manifestations of the Spirit. And I, I used an, a whale as an example of that. Where, where a whale is this massive mammal that's under the water that you can't see, but he's there. And every once in a while, I shared about a whale watch that we went out on, uh, and I shared about this last Sunday, that, 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 that the, the, the tail of that whale will come up out of the water, and suddenly you realize there's physical evidence that that whale is there, and you can tell something about the nature of that whale. In fact, those people that do the whale watches can tell you what whale it is because they're unique markings. And so the manifestations of the Spirit are just that. They're when the Spirit of God, who is here in our services anyway, makes Himself known to our senses and reveals something about His character and His nature. And we we explained that's what it was. We went through quickly the nine gifts that are listed there. We talked about the fact that Paul says there, there are many different ways these gifts manifest themselves. There are many different ways they operate And I've seen the same gift operate differently in different people because God uses your personality. He uses your uniqueness to flow through you and work through you. And so that's kind of what we covered last week. And then Paul now goes into a different section. We're going to pick up in, in, in verse 12. This is what was impressing on me. So little in these three chapters about the gifts of the Spirit say anything about them doesn't give us a lot of details. And I believe there's a reason for that. Because, you know, there's a, God often says things by what He doesn't say. That's a whole message. What we do is we take a word and we make a sentence out of it. Notice it's a word of wisdom. When I just came up here earlier, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I just, something, something just impressed on me. This is an opportunity, a moment for me to do something, God, to do something. And it wasn't strong, but if you'll step out on it. I said, well, am I supposed to call people up to lay hands on them? And all I knew is the Lord said, you'll know when you get up there. We just sang a song about walking out on the waters and trusting Him when you don't understand. So it's learning how to flow in them. But, but there's very little said about it, and I believe it's for a reason, because if, if we had a lot of information in here, we would get hung up on the very thing we're not supposed to get hung up on. Paul's talking here about, because the, these gifts of the Spirit were creating division in the body of Christ, and that's the very opposite of what their purpose is. So Paul has to give them this great teaching on, on the body of Christ. For as the body is one, and it's great, because God uses, Paul uses an example, we all have one. Sometimes we use examples and you say, well, I don't know what he's talking about. He's using your body as an example. Anybody here that doesn't have a body? I'm seeing who's awake. <laughs> okay. As the body is one and as many members, so I have one body and I've got hands, I've got arms, I've got feet, legs, I've got a nose, ears, eyes, mouth, some hair. As many members, all of the mem- and, all, and all of the members of that body being member, ma- being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So he's talking here about although your body has many different members, it's still one body. When you got up to come to church today, you didn't, when you saw somebody, you said, well, hello, I'm glad to see you. You didn't say, I'm glad to see your hair, your ears, I'm glad to see your hands. You recognize all of that collection that sits in front of me as Charles Picard, that's one being, that's Charles. 
So I don't see his identity as a collection of the different members, but those members are part of him, and they're very real. He couldn't do what he does without those members. So just as your body has many different members, but it's one body, so also is Christ. Next verse. For by one Spirit we've all been baptized into one body. No matter where you came from, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, you've all been made to drink of one Spirit. We've taken that Spirit into us. Verse 14. For in fact the body is not one, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. It's one body, but many members. Keep going. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, am I not the body? Is it therefore not the body? In other words, your body has different parts to it, But just because they're different parts doesn't mean they're not part of the body. So look around the room right now. There's nobody that... You didn't look around the room. (laughs) There's nobody that looks like you. With maybe a few minor exceptions. Okay? But just because you look different doesn't mean you're not part of the body. So the differences that Paul's talking are going to go on. I've got to summarize this. The differences that Paul's talking about, Paul said we've made, he's made each one of you different and he gives each one of you different gifts. And the gifts manifest themselves differently based on how he's made you. But just because they're different gifts and different ways they manifest in people doesn't mean that you're not part of one body. So what was happening is these gifts were operating differently through different people and, and they were dividing themselves up based on the gifts. Well, I prophesy and you only speak in tongues. And that's division. And Paul's point here is this. The different, and this applies not just to these gifts, it applies to the color of our skin, it applies to your economic background, it applies from your nation you've come from. The differences that we have are differences in design for our function. Not, listen carefully, not our identity. My body has different organs. It's got a heart, it's got a liver, it's got kidneys. And Paul's point is, they don't get jealous with one another. Why? Because they have a function, but their identity is they're part of my body. And Satan doesn't want you to see this. This is how he's able to create division in the church. Because we see one another based on the differences, and those differences are for our function, not for our identity. All right, I've got to move on because we'll never get to the heart of this. This is not even the message yet. Okay. All right. Now, let's talk about what gifts are. Then he goes on and talks about, you know, the, 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 the... He talks about how some members of your body are, are, are let's put it this way, are, are, are more appealing to look at than others. like your little toe. (laughs) But Paul says those members are still just as valuable. If you've ever stubbed your little toe, you find out how valuable it is. It's, It's important for your balance. So there are parts of you that may not seem that they're very worthwhile, but they're necessary. 
If you don't think it's so, cut it off and give it away. If you don't think your little toe's important, cut it off. You don't want to cut it off because it would cause you pain. So it's valuable to you. So is every member of the body of Christ. Okay. These are gifts. The word gifts is a charismata, which is based on the word charis, which is what, what we get grace from, but it's also, it also really means a favor. And it's important to understand this, because I did a lot of research on this Greek word once, and it's a word that means favor, but it's, it's a favor that's not based on anything appealing about you. It's based on the person, it's based on the character and nature of the one who gives you favor. So if you've ever, if you've, well, I'll give you a good example of that. How many grandparents do we have here? Ooh, wonderful. Okay. All right. You'll know understand this. I don't have my phone up here, but I, I can show you pictures of our grandchildren. I've got Jonathan here, so proud of him. I've, I've got, I've got, a, 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 I've got a, a, a granddaughter, Emma, who's now in college at ORU. We've got a brand new grandson. He's eight months old, just turned eight months old, and I get pictures of him every day. And I go around and show pictures to people, you know, and they say, this is, this is our grandson, this is our granddaughter. And they go, let me show you mine. And they're polite and they smile on it. Why? Because that grandchild means something to me. He doesn't mean to you. So you look at the picture of our granddaughter at ORU, our grandson playing football now, uh, we, of, of our little Luca, show pictures of you, and you see the outward appearance. You see, well, he's a cute young child. He's a cute little eight-month-old boy, and that's cute, yes. And I, I shake in my head because I know he means something to Pastor John and Anita, but I'm just, I don't see quite what he sees. Why? Because there's something in me that sees something in our grandchildren that you don't see. Why? Because it's in me. It's not in the child. Molly's a good example. I love Molly. Molly, you know, she's adorable. She's running on the beach, okay? But she wasn't adorable to everybody else on the beach. Same dog. <laughs> so, charismata, charis means there's a value that's not in the one that's receiving it. The value comes from the one who gives the favor. So God gives us a favor and His love and blessing, not because there's something inherently lovely in us, but because that's His nature. And that's what these gifts are. And that's important to understand, because now we're going to get into today's message, which is the heart of the gift. The heart of these gifts. The tendency, see, is to, manif- is to focus on the manifestation of the gift. Oh yeah, God gave me this example. Oh boy. Um, Christmas time. You've got children. We had four children. Christmas time, we spent late night wrapping presents and getting these nice gifts and wrapped them. Her father would send us gifts from where, where they lived in Ohio. He was immaculate at, at, at wrapping them. And you just look at these gifts, the, the beautiful wrapping on the gifts. The kids didn't care about the wrapping. They rip the wrapping off to get at what's inside. These gifts come with a wrapping. Some of them are a word of wisdom, some of them are of knowledge, some of them are prophecy, some of them are working miracles. That's the wrapping. The real value in these gifts is what's inside. And that's what we miss. We play with the wrapping paper. We exalt the wrapping paper 
And the wrapping paper is not the gift. It's what attracts you to the gift, makes the gift attractive. Having said all that, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. This is typically known as the love chapter. But listen carefully. It's not really about love. It's about a correction for how the gifts were operating because it's sandwiched between two other chapters on the gifts of the Spirit. The third one we'll probably talk about next time. And so when he talks about tongues, he's not talking about your ability to speak Spanish or French. He's talking about the gift of tongues that was just talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. If I speak with the gift with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become a noisy brass or a clanging cymbal, or I use the example, running your fingernails down a chalkboard. Can you feel that? Verse 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love. He's taking these gifts and he's giving the supreme example of them. If the tongue sounded like voice of angels, if, 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 I give, if prophecy speaks uh, in a mirror of... Wit, oh, we change subjects. Okay. If I have all faith is to remove mountains. No, if I have the flowing in the epitome of these gifts but I have not love... It falls somewhat short. No, I have nothing. So no matter how beautiful the tongue sound, no matter how powerful the prophecy, if it's not motivated by love in God's eyes, it counts as nothing. In fact, it's clanging cymbal, noisy brass to God. It's offensive to God. Why? And that's what we're going to look at quickly today by faith (laughs) since it makes sense since God is love and these gifts purpose is to manifest his nature how can it be manifesting his nature if it's not coming out of love anything that's not out of love fails to demonstrate him and therefore falls short of the purpose for which it was given. And this does not just apply to the gifts of the Spirit. This applies to your giving. That applies to everything you do. There was a time when God began to challenge my mind. Why did you do that, son? Well, he said, no, you did that so you'd feel better about yourself. You reached... Some, you know, we often pray selfishly. We pray for other people because we feel better of ourselves because we prayed for them. If it's not motivated by love, this is the word of God for the day. The attention is never on the gift or on the one who is used. It's always on God's heart towards others. Love is the measure of our maturity, not how God's using you. He uses you because you're open. He's pleased with you because of your nature and character. This, now, here's what I want to talk about. This love is not a human love for one another. Human love is based on our emotions, or it's reciprocal. We love because somebody's loved us. We love because we like them. We love because this is what human love is like. It's ultimately selfish, and it has to be, because human beings apart from God are ultimately selfish. 
So this love is not a human love for one another. The love is the Greek word agapeo. It's a favor bestowed because of the value for, not the value of, the recipient. I just used the example of grandparents. So let's go through Paul here, uh, in cha- in starting in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He's going to go through here, and he's going he's to give us some indications. Love, when we go through here, notice one thing that's lacking here, there's no definition of love in here. But there really isn't, that I know of, a definition of love in the Bible. And I was meditating on that uh, day before yesterday, and I said, God, why is there no, 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 no definition of it? He said, because then we'd focus on the love itself instead of being busy doing it. I'm going to say that again. Because if, if we had a definition of it, we'd be focusing on what it is and not be busy doing it because you can real, only really understand what this love is like by doing it. So these are indications. These are, 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 are little symptoms. When you go to the doctor and you just don't feel well, they'll check your vital signs. They'll check for symptoms to see if there's something going wrong in your body. So one of the things they'll do is check your temperature because if your temperature is elevated, that's a sign that there's an infection somewhere in your body that your body's fighting it. So that's what these, these are symptoms of whether you're in this kind of love or not. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Keep going. Love does not behave rudely in line at Walmart or in traffic. It does not, this is the heart of it, it does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It's getting better. It thinks no evil. Next verse. It does not rejoice when your brother's messed up. (laughs) It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. Gets better. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And the next one starts out with love never fails. These are symptoms. When those are not present in my life, then I'm not operating in this kind of love. So let's talk a little bit in the time we have about this kind of love. As I said, the Bible doesn't define it. I love, there's a book I've been reading. It's an old book called The Greatest Thing in the World by Henry Drummond. If you ever really want to know what this love is like, he gives a great description. Some things he says about the gifts I don't agree with because he thinks they're just natural talents. But the way he describes this love, and he uses this section of scriptures, he said, in order to understand, it's like a prism. You know what a prism is? Not a prison, prism. Where it's, this, where it's glass where light shines through it. And when the light, shi- the, the light shines through it, and it divides it into its integral colors. A rainbow is an example of that. It's the sunlight passing through water droplets that divides it up into its different colors. So what we just read are different colors that make up this love, but together it's more than it is those different, those different things. 
the other thing is you cannot just say, okay, I'm going to walk in love. I'm just going to do those things. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to believe everything. I'm going to hope everything. I'm just going to do those things. See how far you get. <laughs> it doesn't come that way. It comes as a response. It comes as a response to what God has done. Although it's not defined, God gives us a vivid example of this love. Romans 5. Now, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's love's, God's love for you has already been given to you when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. He is a resident occupant. God's love is resident in you for you. And because of that, it's uh, uh, given to us. Verse 6. For when we still without strength... This is the evidence, this is the, this example of what this love is like. When we were still without strength, that means spiritual strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just in case you're not sure who that is, it's you. I don't care how godly you thought you were, God says you were ungodly without Christ. And if you think you were godly without Him, you still need Him. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man would someone die. Perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. Keep going. Why? Because they're based on that person's value. But God demonstrates. I love that word demonstrate because it's a continuous verb. It's not a past tense that something God did once and for all. He demonstrates continually His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For you. Uh, I've, been, I've been meditating on the cross lately. If you want to know the reality of how much God loves you, just look at the cross. The cross is the price He was willing to pay for you. And the problem is we don't know why, we, why, why did he have to pay anything for us. I'm doing pretty well. I go to church every Sunday. I'm doing pretty well. You don't understand how God sees you but apart from Christ. Okay, we gotta, we've got to move on. This is the essence of his love. The measure of his love for you is the price that he paid. And the essence of this life, listen carefully, the, ess- the, the essence of this kind of love you've got to be ready to hear this, is sacrifice and suffering. We don't like to hear that. The essence of God's love for you was the sacrifice He's willing to pay to have you. The suffering He was willing to go through to have you. The rejection he was willing to experience to have you for himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is the verse I woke up in the middle of the night a week ago with this verse just burning in me. Let this mind be in you 
which also was in Christ Jesus. We talk about the mind of Christ, and I've heard it taught as if, well, that means I, can, I, I have his capacity. No, he's talking about how you think. Let this mind be in you. Have this attitude in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And what was that attitude? Next verse. Who being in the form of God, talking about who he is, his rights, his privileges. There's so much today about, well, my rights and my privileges. I have the right to my body. I have the right to my space. I have the right to this. You don't want what you have a right to. You have a right to burn in hell. That's what we have a right to. He had a right to be worshipped in heaven. He had a right as the second person of the Godhead to be acclaimed forever, but he chose to set that aside. And this word in Greek actually means he emptied himself of himself. Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal with God and he chose to put that aside. Next verse. And he made himself of no reputation. He made himself, he set aside the glory and the honor that he had as the second person of the God. He set aside who he was. He set aside his rights. He set aside his privileges. Taking the form of a bondservant. This is why in John 13, before he goes to the cross, he says, Men, you've got to get this above everything else. And he went around that room and he performed the menial task of the lowest servant in a household. He washed their dirty feet. And Peter had trouble understanding this. He said, No, 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 no. You can't wash my feet. If anybody, I should be washing your feet. And he says, Peter, you don't understand. If you don't let me do this, if you don't allow me to serve you, you can have no place with me. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the heart of of First Corinthians 13. This is the essence of this love. The essence of this love is it sacrifices itself because the other is more valuable to you and to God. Coming in the likeness of men, keep going, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So he's, he humbled, I don't have time to go into we can't begin to imagine the humility of going from God to a human being. Limited by space and time. He humbled himself and became even more humbled, obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, the death on a cross. It's become real to me lately. If you think about what those Roman soldiers, what the, what the, what the, what the, what the, the Jewish soldiers did to him when they arrested him and then what the Roman soldiers did to him how they beat him and mocked him that's the expression of the world's anger towards God was taken out on him I don't have time to get into this this is another message some other time we were all angry at God you may not think you are but we are, we, he imposes on our life he tries to tell me what to do that's in here he tries to tell me what I can and cannot do. What is he? We would never say this to God, but our attitude is what right does he have? We would never say that. But down inside of us often is this attitude. Well, Because otherwise we'd be instantly obedient. 
Pastor John, good preaching. <laughs> and I'm preaching to me this morning. That's always a pastor's good way to get encouragement. <laughs> On the cross, the cross he came for you he came there was no other way that's why he pleaded with the father in the garden is there some other way there was no other way on that cross he came for you to deliver you deliver me from ourselves from self from the selfishness the self-righteousness every self-hyphenated sin there is and anything that's connected to self is sin. And we couldn't deliver ourselves. The harder we tried, the prouder we got. And he came and suffered on that cross for you. He sacrificed. Not because we were worthy. We weren't. He sacrificed because in God's eyes you were worth it. Oh, I never thought... You weren't worthy, you were worth it. That was good. You weren't worthy, but you were worth it. To Him. Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Now go down to verse 12. This is the mind... This is what God's doing. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not much in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is that? I was always, what does that mean? How do I do that? And that's what we, I woke up two weeks ago. The Lord says, that's the mind I want you to have. This is what I'm at work in you to do, is to have the same mind that Christ had when he emptied himself of self and came as a bondservant to one another. The work that he's doing, wants to do in you is to empower you to empty yourself of yourself and to take on the form of a bondservant to the rest of the body of Christ, to your neighbors that aren't saved. And we can only do that because of the next verse, verse 13, because it's God who's at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I got to, can you give me another minute? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with something here. 1 John chapter 4. How can I do this? This is what I've struggled with so long. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That word literally means mercy seat, the covering of our sins. Keep going. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our love for Him and our love for one another is a response to the knowing God's love for us. The more we gaze at His love for us, 
the more His love grows in us. I'm going to say that again. The more we gaze at His love for us, the more His love in us becomes real for other people. That's why when you try to give love to other people without receiving it from God, you're giving out of an empty tank. So what's the answer to try? No, it's to get lost in your love for Him. And you do that by looking at what He was willing to pay, the cross. Gaze at Him on the cross as completely yours, totally given to you. On that cross, He gave Himself for you, but He's giving Himself to you, to receive you into the closest union and fellowship and relationship with Him. He paid with His suffering to receive you into the closest relationship possible, spirit to spirit, to remove every obstacle, everything that kept you from being able to come to Him, He paid for on that cross. How much does He want you? How much does He desire you to talk with Him and to be with Him and to trust Him? How much could He possibly want to have paid this much for you? Paul talks in Ephesians about the unsearchable riches that are in Christ. And this is why worship is so important. Real, true worship, not just singing songs and clapping, real worship from your heart to God, love songs to God, focused on who Christ is, it opens your heart up to receive the love that He has for you. And the good news is the Spirit of God lives in you with one primary purpose and that's to introduce Him to you. This is why Paul says, you don't have to call Him down out of heaven. You don't have to bring Him up out of hell. The word of faith is nigh you even in your mouth and in your heart. He's in you. He's resident in you. God's come as far as He can come, paid as much as He can pay so that you can know by experience this love that God has for you. So don't let yourself be content with where you are. I've been a Christian for 43 years. I've been a pastor for 20, I don't know how many years. And I'm just now experiencing this love at a level and dimension I've never known before. And in an age, in a stage of life, in an age when it's so tempting to just sit back and say, well, I've done my job. I've done what I'm supposed to do. God, thank you. I just wait for you to take me home. I'm so alive now. I'm so ready to go now. And I know, I don't know whatever God has for us next, but it's just, it's, I'm just so, I'm all like so excited about Jesus because he's becoming so much more real to me. I've known him in my head. I've known him as doctrines. I've known him as teachings. And I believed in him with all my heart, but I wanted to know him to know Him. I've read of people who, who were con- almost consumed with their love for Him. I was reading the, the, the life of St. Thomas Aquinas, the famous, one of the most brilliant theologians that's ever lived, wrote some amazingly brilliant things, I know, amazingly brilliant writings. And he had a vision of Christ one day. When he came out of the vision, his scribe, who we dictate to, says, well, well sir, what, what were you want me to say? He says, I... Everything I've ever written is straw compared to who I just saw. 
and he lives in you. If you've given your heart to him, he lives in you. He lives in you. Do you want to know more? Do you want to taste him more? Do you want to experience him more? Do you want him to fill you with his fullness? That's what Paul's prayer was. They're not empty words. He says, I bow my knee before the Father in heaven of whom every family, family, member of family in heaven is named. That you, according to the riches of your, listen, listen to these words, according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant them with your power that Christ might dwell in their hearts, live his life in them and through them by faith being rooted and grounded in love, that they might come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, the word means know by experience, the love of Christ that passes all understanding so that you could be filled up with all the fullness of God. That's his plan for you, to fill you with his fullness and say, well, I don't know if that's possible. Well, verse 20 tells you it is. Now unto him, not you, who's able, say he's able, able. to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. I'm just telling you this morning what I can ask or think, but he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond in you. All that he, listen to this. this is the, according to the power that's at work in you. It doesn't come down out of heaven. It's the Holy Spirit in you to manifest Himself in your life so that others can taste of the sweet aroma. There's a verse that says the, talks about the fragrance of Christ, that there should be a fragrance coming from us. And it's His love. It draws people. They don't know why they're drawn to you. The most amazing scripture to me, one of the most amazing in the New Testament is where where it says, and the sinners and the publicans came and sat at his feet to hear what he has to say. This This is the holiest man that's ever lived. So it wasn't the holiness. His holiness drew them. It was something about him that emanated from him that drew people to him. And it was the love of God in him for them. I got, I got to end here. I've got, to, I've got to end here. We don't have time to go through it. The rest of chapter 13 talks, we talked about it last week, about, you know, these gifts are going to pass away because they're, they're, like, they're like the wrapping on the present. But there's coming a time when we don't need the wrapping on the present because we have Him Himself. And then it says, but when there's three of these things that will never fade away. Faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is love. I want to, I want to quote, read with a quote, if you'll bear with me. This is written in 150 A.D. by the philosopher Aristides to the Roman Emperor Hadrian. He had commissioned him to find out what the religions of the world were. He was seeking, I guess. And if you read the whole thing, there's a description of what the Jews believed, what other religions believed. And he ends with the report on the Christians. So this is a philosopher reporting to the Roman emperor what he saw and what he, how he could determine what was real. It is the Christians, O emperor, who have, who have sought and found the truth. 
They acknowledge God. They keep for themselves, they do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do uh, to another what they would not wish to be done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make, they make them their friends. It's become their passion. It's become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in the awareness of their smallness. Every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under the roof, under their roof, their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother. And they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know their brothers in the spirit and in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all his needs. If possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor or comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast two or three days for him. In this way they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians. And this is their manner of life. Father, help us. Help us. If these believers were able to experience and walk in this kind of love under the persecution that they were experiencing, surely we have no excuse today. Father, touch our hearts. Draw us. Help us to be dissatisfied with where we are and open our eyes of our heart to the possibilities of walking in and flowing in the love that you have for us. Lord, I don't know where to go from here. So we'll just end. Open the eyes of our understanding that we might see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're um, here this morning.